We mentioned in the past couple of Mishnayas that if somebody plants a particular type of seed into the ground and right after sowing it into the ground, he decides that actually he wants to plant it with a different seed. But that different seed would be Kilayim with the previous seed. So he said that he should wait three days for the seed to germinate in the ground, to take root and to start growing underground. And at that point, the seeds are very weak and then he should plant it. He should plow the field and then plant the new seed there. However, the first part of our Mishnah is going to bring an exception to that. If somebody's field was planted with kanbris or luf, two different types of herb plants, and right after sowing them into the ground, he decides that actually he wants to plant a different seed there. So usually you just wait three days and then you can already start plowing it and planting the new seed. However, the Mishnah says here that you cannot plant over them. You can't plow and then plant the new seeds there because these seeds, the seeds of the herb which was planted there first, can take up to three years to germinate in the ground properly. Which means that if you wait three days, the seeds haven't reached that stage yet and therefore they won't be weak. So when you plant, when you plow the ground, you won't necessarily uproot all of the seeds of the herbs. Because the seeds of the herbs only germinate and take proper root in the ground after three years. So that's how long you would wait before being able to plant another seed there. Now it's important to remember that many actions which are forbidden because of Kilayim are only forbidden Midrabonon because of Maris Ha'ayin, which means that it looks like you're doing the Aveira of Kilayim, even if technically you're not, if it looks like you are, then it's also forbidden Midrabonon. And because of that, even if you don't plant the climb yourself, but let's say there were seeds which were left in the ground since the previous harvest, and they sprouted up and started growing in an area where another species is now growing, even if you don't necessarily want them there, it might look like you do want them there, and that you're deliberately keeping them there, and therefore it's forbidden. You have to cut them down. However, in a situation where these plants are growing and the plants damage the other plants there, then it's obvious that you don't want to keep them there and that you have no intention of kilayim here. So in such a case, it would be permitted. For example, if in an area where grain was planted, sefichim of istis grew. So sefichim refers to these seeds which were left in the ground and then harvest later on without you actually meaning for them to be grown. And istis is some sort of herb which is used for a dye. And this herb is damaging for the produce. It's damaging for the grain. So therefore it's obvious that you're not keeping it there because you want it there as a mixture. And it's obvious that it's not going to remain there for very long. And therefore you have no mitzvah to cut it off because it's clear that it's already not kilayim. Similarly, the place of the threshing floor. If lots of different species start growing in the threshing floor, that's not good for the threshing floor. The threshing floor needs to be smooth so that you can thresh properly there. Similarly, tilton, which is translated as fenugreek, usually used for animal food, where other types of plants grew right next to the fenugreek. And again, you didn't plant them, they just grew, they grew by themselves. In all these situations, we do not obligate him to uproot these growths, because it's obvious that he doesn't want them there. And therefore, it's obvious that it's not Kilayim. However, the Mishnah does tell us that if he did begin to uproot part of the these growths, or Kisach, he cut off the leaves but left the roots in there, by doing that and leaving some of them in the ground, that's showing, or at least it looks like he wants to keep the rest of them. Otherwise, why doesn't he just remove all of them? The fact that he removes some of them but keeps the rest in the ground shows that he wants to keep the rest in the ground and therefore it then becomes forbidden and therefore we tell him you've now got to uproot everything except for one species so that there's definitely no kilayim here because now you've done something to show that you are pleased with the kilayim which remains.
which involved the rest of this parak and really much of the next parak as well, discussed different formations in which different species can be planted in a field. And because of the uniqueness of the formations and how they are set out in the field and the various shapes in which they're planted, because of that they're considered distinct and therefore it doesn't look like one species is being mixed with another because both species would be in a particular shape and because it's a special shape it's like noticeable that it's different from the rest of the field and it's noticeable that they are planted each species in a patch of itself and this will become clearer through the examples and the first example is one who wants to make his field in the formation such that each row is planted with a different species so as long as it's clear that each row is separate from the next row, so there's large enough gaps to make each row distinguishable, then it's okay. The question is, how large does the gap between each row need to be to allow you to plant a different species in each row? Bishamim and Bishamai say, three furrows, that's the long hole, the long ditch, which is made via plowing the field, of plowing which, great, which breaks the ground meaning the first plowing which they would do in the season would usually be before it even rained, so the ground was very hard, and they made quite wide ditches, quite wide furrows, when plowing at that time. So three times that area, that width, is the gap which needs to be left between each row. And that is approximately two amas. So if you, leave, if you leave around two amas in between each row, then you can plant each row with a different species. They still say it's It's the width of the yoke which they use when plowing in the area called Sharon. And that was a large part of Eretz soil which was very flat. It was lower down, it was flat. And because of that, they would plow much wider furrows. So the width of that yoke which they would use when plowing, that's the gap which you need to leave. And in fact, the Kroven Devi'elu is Kedevi'elu. The words of these people, meaning the words of Shammai, are very close to the words of Hillel, meaning that the width of the yoke which was used in Shorain is also roughly two amas. The truth is, the width which Hillel require is slightly smaller than two amas. It's slightly smaller than Shammai's amount. So according to Hillel, you don't need to leave quite such a large gap. However, according to both of them, a gap of roughly two amas is necessary in order to allow you to plant different species in each row. Now the truth is, the Yerushalmi explains that there does not actually need to be two amas gap in between each row throughout the whole field. Rather, as long as the first two amas of the row going lengthways, so let's say imagine the rows all going lengthways. For the first two amas of each row, there has to be a gap of at least two amas in between each row. However, past that, the gap can be much less until the end of the field, and you can see the diagram for this Mishnah, which gives a clear picture of that. Mishnah Zayin, the next formation which we're going to discuss is If there was a Rosh Tur of wheat which entered into the area which was planted with barley. Now, Rosh Tur basically refers to a corner, and the case we're discussing is where, if you imagine, the barley is planted in a square. It's a large square with lots of barley planted in it, and next to the square, there's wheat planted. But instead of the wheat being planted as a square next to it, it's planted more in a triangular sh- shape, such that the only part of the wheat which is touching, or which is right next to the barley, is the corner of the wheat field. A corner of the part of the field which is planted with wheat. The diagram for this mission will also help, but either way, since the barley and the wheat are planted in different shapes, and where, they're, where there's contact between them, it's only the corner of the wheat, so Mutter is permitted to plant it like this, because it appears like the end of his field, meaning that it's clear that the area which is planted with wheat is separate from the area which is planted with barley. Now in the next example of the Mishnah, we're going to see the principle again that many of the actions which are forbidden under the rule of Kilayim is only Mijabonon because of Marisa Ayin, because it looks like a planting Kilayim. 
The truth is, Midoraisa, the only thing which you can't do is to literally take two seeds and plant them together as one. But even to plant one seed, and then later on to plant another seed next to it, that is only prohibited Midrabonon, because it looks like you're planting Kilayim together. Now the Torah says, Sodokholo Sizra Kilayim. You cannot plant your field with Kilayim. And we learn from there, that if half the Kilayim is in somebody else's field, and then the other seed is in your field, then it's permitted. And because of that, if let's say Reuven's field is right next to Shimon's field, Reuven could plant wheat right till the end of his field, and then Shimon could plant barley right next to it. And there doesn't have to be a gap at all, even with Jabonon, because the whole prohibition only applies in your field itself. In fact, says the Mishnah, If his field was planted with wheat, and his friend's field was planted with another species. Let's use the example of barley. And let's say the wheat which is planted in his field doesn't stretch till the end of his field, then there's still a gap between where the wheat ends and where his field ends. Says the Mishnah, You're allowed to plant the species which is planted in the other field, in our example, barley, right next to the wheat in your field without leaving any gap. So it comes out that his field is planted with wheat, Next to the wheat is barley, and then his field ends, and then his friend's field begins, and there's barley planted there as well. And the reason why this is allowed is because it looks like the barley is a continuation of his friend's field, and not his own field. So since you're allowed to put a species next to a different species, if either one is in different fields, so even if it looks like either one is in different fields, such as in this example, all of the barley looks like it's his friend's field, so it's also allowed here to put that barley next to the wheat without any gap in between them. The next example which the Mishnah will give is when someone plants flax in a field, but he's only planting it with a few flax seeds in order to check whether the ground is fit to plant lots of flax. Now because he's only planting it to test the ground, but not actually to use these flax seeds themselves and to grow them properly, so strictly speaking they're exempt from Kilayim, and you would be able to plant them with another species. However, of course, it looks like you're planting Kilayim because not everyone knows you're doing it to test it, and therefore you can't just plant flax seeds in the middle of the field. However, there is a way to do it. If his field was planted with wheat and his friend's neighboring field was also planted with wheat, then he is allowed to put one furrow, meaning one row of flax seeds, next to his friend's field. So at the edge of the field, he can plant one row of these flax seeds. Now, one row of flax seeds are pretty much useless except for testing. No one plants just one row of flax seeds. So if you do that, then it's clear you're doing it to test it, and therefore it will be permitted. And according to the Tanakhama, it also has to be done at the edge of the field, just to make sure that people don't make the mistake of thinking that it's planted for the sake of planting like regular produce. But the later, you can't plant even one row of another species, not flax, because other species weren't really planted in order to test the ground whether it's good enough to plant more of it. That was something which was done more commonly with flax, and therefore even one row at the edge of the field planted with another species, people might think that it's planted properly, and not just for testing, and so it looks like Kilayim, and therefore it's forbidden. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, Both flax seeds and seeds of other species, and the way we're going to understand this is that according to Rabbi Shimon, both of those are forbidden. Meaning, even when it comes to flax seeds, they also cannot be planted even at the edge of the field, even if it's just one row, because the Mishuin is still concerned that people will not realize it's for testing, and people will think that it's Kelayim. And I have the third opinion, the most lenient. Rabbi Yossi says, Even in the middle of the field, he's allowed to test the field with one row of flax seeds, because since it's one row, it's clear that it's for testing, and according to Rabbi it does not need to be at the edge of the row. So again, according to the Tanakama, you can plant one row of flax seeds at the edge of this field. According to Rabbi Shimon, you can't at all. And according to Rabbi you can do it at the edge or even in the middle of the field. 
Mishlechetz, we learned in the previous Mishnah that strictly speaking one is allowed to plant a species right next to a different species if the other species is in a, is in a different field. Now the Mishnah gives an exception to this, and that is, in one cannot plant next to a field of grain, which is some other sort of plant translated as safflower, it's got reddish-orange flowers. And the way that many understand this Mishnah is that even if the grain is planted in the neighboring field, not your own field, you still cannot plant mustard or charia in your own field right next to it. The reason being that chardal and charia damage grain when they're planted right next to each other. Which means that people are going to assume that there's no way that somebody's going to allow his neighbor to plant something which will damage his property, his produce. And therefore, people will assume that it must be that it's already part of the same field and the guy who owns the grain also owns the mustard. Because if it was owned by different people, then the owner of the grain wouldn't allow the person, the other person, to plant mustard next to it. So people think that it's the same field, in which case, once again, the prohibition of kilayim does apply because it looks like kilayim. But you would be able to plant chardal and choria next to a field of vegetables and green plants because the chardal and choria are not damaging to the vegetables, which means that people will assume that they are owned by different people, in which case kilayim will not apply. There are many different ways to learn that part of the Mishnah. We explained it in one way. We're going to learn later on that the gap which needs to be left in between two different types of species, at least if those two species are grains, is the area of a base rover, which is roughly 10 by 10 amas, slightly more, and an empty space of that area has to be left in between the two species. Now, if somebody has an empty area which he plans to plant, then you might think that that's not counted as a good enough separation, because we're going to plant it later on, so it cannot function as a good enough gap and separation between the two species. But the Mishnah says that that is not the case for Semich Labur Velanir. You're allowed to put another species next to a empty area of land, or an area of land which has just been ploughed, which means that right now nothing is planted there, and if right now nothing is planted there, then it's enough, and that's good enough of a separation, if it's the size of a base reva, such that two different species can be planted on either side of it. And now the Mishnah will go on to discuss other things which are good enough separations between two types of species. Vila gofa, a wall made up of stones which aren't necessarily cemented together. Vila derech, a pathway which is four amas wide. Vila godesh fachim, a fence which is ten tefachim high. Vila choritz and to a ditch which is both ten tefachim deep and four tefachim wide. You'll notice that whereas the fence does not have to be a particular width, the ditch does because a ditch is less noticeable. So in order for it to be properly noticeable as a separation, it has to be at least four tefachim wide. Vila ilon oretz, a tree which bends over and covers the ground, meaning its branches droop downwards such that they're almost touching the ground again. And we're discussing where they are no more than three tefachim removed from the ground. In such case, you'd also be able to plant two different species on either side of that branch. And also a rock which is ten tefachim high and four tefachim wide, that would also be a good separation in between the two species. And this has to be at least four tefachim wide, because whereas a fence, the whole purpose of the fence is to separate the fields, so it's noticeable as a separation, even if it's not that wide, when it comes to a rock, a rock is not necessarily used as a separation, and therefore it's only considered a separation if it's four tefachim wide at least, such that it is noticeable that it divides the two species properly.